You are listening to the PHP Ugly Podcast. And despite what the title may lead you to believe, this is a podcast about the joys and challenges of being a professional PHP developer. Your hosts are three passionate developers who make a living coding and who live stream every week to discuss coding, projects, work, tech, and running a business. And now, here are your hosts, Eric Van Johnson, John Congdon, and Tom Rideout. You're listening to episode 302, PHP Ugly. The shortest episode we've ever had. This month on Podcaster Crib. Hey, Eric, what's the one thing you need for, for a podcast? <laughs> Internet connection? Internet? Yeah. That helps. Okay, listen. Stop all the shenanigans. You're listening to the PHP Ugly Podcast, and we are three professional PHP developers who get together on a weekly basis to talk about professional what's going on with in no our internet. Life. And that's how good we are. We're so good, we don't even need internet. Um, we'll get to all that. We'll get to all that. Why am I outside right now in 90 degree heat with a wildfire burning right over the mountain? Because I love the people who listen to our show, especially. Our Patreon supporters on patreon.com slash phpugly and our sponsors, HoneyBadger.io and Cloudways. And we'll talk about all of them soon. Uh, if you'd like to be part of the show, you can join us in our Discord at discord.phpugly.com. We're there not only during the show, not only recording live, but all week. If you listen to the audio podcast, you might want to pop over to our YouTube channel every now and then. Take a look at what that looks like. See how Discord works. It's all on the screen. In fact, it looks like Discord's working this week, which is great to see. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Johnson, and with me is John Condon. We have people dancing to the intro music. I love it. I love that. And Tom right up. I had nothing to do with what happened to the Queen. Too soon. <laughs> Too soon. Too s- no. Really. I, well, I think you did. I think I was going to take your queen very early in the game. You did do say. that. <laughs> that was... We did play chess. Did... It was an embarrassment. Oh, did you play chess with John? Yeah. I'm playing chess with him, too. He's still waiting for my first move. <laughs> <laughs> but so out, we out, don't have internet. Out of nowhere, two weeks a week ago or so, a friend of the show, Ben Ramsey, started a game with me. My first ever friend game. Well, he's, on... the, he's friend of the show now. He steals an election from me when he invites <laughs> you to play chess, and all of a sudden he, we're all buddy buddy with him now. Right. <laughs> so that's my first friend game on chess.com. And then out of nowhere, just a day or two later, Tom starts a, a chess game with me. I'm like, what is going on here? Because it's fun. I need I need to get better at it so I can not make a fool of myself. Wasn't wasn't fun. <laughs> oh, it wasn't fun? No. Are you a little rusty? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, to, I, to be to be fair, I don't know anybody's chess level, so I don't know if I'm supposed to play to like full potential or not that I'm good at all. I I am not good. I just broke 900 on the 10 minute levels, which was great, but it's taken me a long time to get to that point. See, that's so, how bad I am. I don't I don't even know what that means. So you, I think you start out around 600, and then. Depending on how you play, you're either going to go up or down from there. Twenty, like over two thousand, you're getting into like master level, I believe. Uh, Twelve, fifteen hundred, you you play and you actually care about the game. 
it's fun. It's a fun pastime. I play two to three games a day, I think, where I just, you know, up in points, down in points. I, I got up to like 890 three or four times and then straight back down to like eight O's, eight, around 800 to 810. So it's just like this roller coaster ride. So when I broke 900, I was like, I did it. I'm going to not play it for a while <laughs> so I can enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah, that's like reaching champion in in Rocket League, which I'm still not able to play, unfortunately. Why is that? My controller isn't working. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, it's the controller fault. It very much is. All right, Eric, your internet. What is going on? You're oh, outside. Man. You're outside annoying your neighbors right now. Why is that? Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, my neighbors aren't too close to me, but yeah, I'm, I'm annoying them. Um, but and you're wearing clothes this time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I I, I moved into a, to a house, you know, back in January. Those who've been listening to the show for a while will, will know my ordeal from moving from an, my old house to to my new house. Much nicer house had fiber, had fiber to the house, which is the first time I've ever had that. Now I've had fiber like speeds from my cable company at my old house, but I've never had actual fiber and especially fiber that actually came into my house. So that, that went out on me today, which like in general, it was just installed like eight months ago, nine months ago. So the fact that what's, what they think is wrong is wrong, which is the, the termination point where the fiber actually plugs into the house um, and gets converted over to cat five, that, that little termination point, has gone bad and apparently they can see that from their office they're like oh yeah yeah the termination point's bad you know are there lights on and you know we go through the whole troubleshooting stuff as always the toilet's glowing and, is that bad <laughs> <laughs> and so they're like yeah uh, unfortunately we're gonna have to replace that and i'm like okay is that i'm pretty tech savvy i've done a few things in the past I'm like can i just go to like a best buy or something to buy one of these things like, oh no 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 now, this is not something you just go buy. It's not like your router or your modem in your house. You you know, this is like specialized for our fiber and this and that. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. So be here tomorrow to fix it? Saturday? Like, uh, let me see. Yeah, it looks like our next appointment, available appointment is the 22nd. 22nd the month? Like, not the, like, like two like, weeks ago? Today's the 8th. You realize the 22nd is a long way away. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, that's, I'm like, no, 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 no. Maybe you don't understand the world we live in now. Like, my wife and I both work from home. Like, our our life, you know, our finances are dependent on being able to work. And, yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, dude, oh, great. I'm glad you understand. So, yeah, so the 22nd is the soonest I can get you. <laughs> God. <laughs> and, you know, what's, what's horrible is I can't even be mad about it because, the house I was living at where cable was giving me quote unquote fiber speed, I was paying three twice as much as I'm paying for actual fiber now. And it's like the expense is so dramatically different that I'm like, I can't be mad about it because it's like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, you guys are kind of cheap, so I shouldn't, but man. So as luck would have it, my kid that moved up to San Francisco, when they moved up to San Francisco, they didn't have internet. And so uh, yeah, 
dad being a dad, they didn't know how to get internet hooked up to their apartment at the time. There was like some confusion around that. So me being me, I go and buy this very expensive AT and T. It's not it's not really a hotspot. It's it's just like mobile internet, but it's a hotspot. But it's meant for like a lot of bandwidth, a lot of connections. And I got that from them. I think like the modem itself cost me like seven hundred bucks. And then to get the the plan for it, they don't even sell it to like civilians. They they're like, oh yeah, you have to you have to have a business. I'm like, oh, I have two businesses. And <laughs> I, I even told them like, didn't we have a business account with AT and T? Mm, don't think so. Okay, so they couldn't find it at the time. I'm like, well, I have two businesses. I can give you all the tax codes and all that other stuff. And there was, it took like two hours to get this account set up. But I set up an account, a business account with them, which I'm, I gotta admit, like, there's been a couple times in my life where I felt like that's kind of ball or play to move (laughs) to make. And that was one, like, that was one of them. I'm like, oh yeah, I got, I got businesses. I got, I got what business do you want? I got a couple (laughs) businesses I can get. So I, you're, I get you're dealing this, you're dealing businesses now. <laughs> I get this plan, which isn't cheap. I mean, like that plan costs more, like twice as much as my fiber to my house. But my kid needed internet, so they use it for a while. They work out their internet situation so that they have internet in their apartment, and we kind of forget about it. I've been meaning to go try to log into AT and T and. I haven't been able to get into my business account. I can only get into my personal account. So I've been meaning to go to the AT&T store to cancel it because there was no like obligation. It was like a month to month thing. And my kid was just down here over the weekend. They, they keep meaning to bring the device to me because like I said, the device itself was kind of expensive and had been forgetting it. And so this happens and I messaged them. I'm like, hey, I need you to get to the UPS store right now and overnight me that, that modem like immediately. So I got that coming to me tomorrow. I'm hoping that's enough to get me by, but I don't think it's going to be enough to get the wife by. The wife works in medical medical field where they're transferring all these big images. That's one of the reasons why we paid so much for internet uh, at our previous house, because we needed a big pipeline. So I don't know. I don't know how we're going to work that out. That does not sound good. Yeah. The people at my internet provider, the fiber people, you know, I, I got, you know, I escalated it many times as I could, and I got put on the escalation list that, you know, they basically, I mean, I doubt it even, even exists. They're like, oh, yeah, we have a special <laughs> yeah. escalation list. We'll put you on that. So the first cancel, <laughs> we'll mark you in. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you put everybody on that escalation list, or it's really the shit list, and you, you guys are going to cancel on me on the 22nd, and it's going to be another month out. But Yeah, no, it's it's written on the toilet paper in the men's room stalls. <laughs> they just write your name down on the on the closest sheet of toilet paper. So it's so, 90 degrees outside right now. I have, as I said, there's a wildfire burning not too far from my house. I went to Costco to get gas the other day. I should send you the pictures, John. I matter of fact, maybe I'll post them in Discord. The wildfire is just like, it's right there. I'm like, I'm like, I can't believe how close this is. Now, we've dealt with wildfires in the past. They've gotten much closer to, to our house, so I'm not panicking yet. But I do have, like, ash and stuff dropping in my pool, which I, I'm not complaining about. Like, there are people losing their properties and being evacuated. So, whatever. If all I'm dealing with is ash in my pool and in my yard, I'm I'm fine. But but I, I left my iPad in my wife's car 
and she was down in San Diego. So I, I've been waiting for her to get home so we can see if we can even do this. And so this is going to be the this, this could be the shortest show because your iPad is dying as we're speaking. This is going to be the worst sound quality on the audio podcast because we can't use our normal tools. So it's coming no, straight. We've from, done worse. We've done much worse. Straight from no YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know. Honestly, if you listen, if you've listened to the show long enough, you guys know I have podcasts from some pretty janky locations with some pretty bad internet. I podcast from hotel rooms during conferences in the middle of the desert with basically a dial-up connection. So I've done much worse at times, but in general, our production quality is usually a little better than than what you're listening to right now. So if this is your first show. I'm just gonna let you know. This is like a this is like a lower bar for us. We typically try to be a little better. If if this is your first show because you saw me post on Reddit, go away. You didn't even promote the show in your post, by no. the way. No, but I'm the only moderator of the PHP Ugly subreddit. So and what does uh, that mean? it didn't work out. I thought I had made a very a very salient point, a very good conversation piece. I was told I was wrong by people who were not the target audience, and they downloaded me into oblivion. And <laughs> I had to go on Discord and beg people to upvote me back to zero. So wasn't wasn't great. Didn't work out. Oh well, I'm over it. Didn't make it. Didn't yeah. turn me. Didn't turn me back to the sauce. I'm, I'm still not drinking, so that's good. So just to be clear, so we, we had this conversation, you, you brought up wanting to make this post and it's, we've had the conversation numerous times about Laravel and Semver over the years and your post was not, was not anti Laravel. It was meant, like you said, to spark a conversation, to talk about why you think Semver should be followed in a different way. Not that they're not following Semver, but how they're doing Semver amongst all of their packages needs to change and i think that might have gotten lost just a little bit in the post oh it clearly got very lost because yeah people were telling me things that are pretty obvious like if you're enterprise you don't have to upgrade immediately whereas that is not what i was saying and what the number one comment for a while was everyone's asking for less semver everyone's asking for more semver i think it's fine how it is which is a clear uh not understanding of what the word semver means. It, like, if you don't work, have more or less, if you don't work in a mission critical application, like that's how your business makes money where you can't just upgrade packages. You need to verify each upgrade to make sure it doesn't break your application so that you can keep making money. Then you really don't understand what's happening. Right. And, and, I had a lot of people tell me that they ran enterprise level stuff and never ran into any problems with version lock and never had any problems upgrading packages. And I laughed and laughed and laughed because who would just go on the internet and lie? No one would do that. Yeah. So I'm in a, a different position there where every upgrade of a package that comes through, we look at the commit history and the code to make sure that, the things that they're changing won't break the application. You know, you're hoping that they have testing. You're hoping that they're following Semver, but there's been too many times where you upgrade a library and things break and you're like, ah, and you're like, so then it's like, 
never again. You, it's <sighs> split up. You know, different people are in charge of different packages, and it is your responsibility to check the commit logs, check the code that has changed between versions, which is a pain in the butt to begin with. And if you're not following Semver or in, in your what you talked about in that article was Laravel upgrades their version, which affects all of their their packages, all their Illuminate packages. Right. Which affects all of the dependencies down the chain. That is a pain in the butt. Yeah. And there's one place where I was slightly hyperbolic and people did not know what to do with that. So they assumed I was being literal. And yeah, you know, that was most, mostly my week was just embarrassing myself on Reddit and then trying to learn doctrine. <laughs> Fun. So Eric brought up Discord. Join the Discord server. It is a lot of fun. I mean, lots of good conversation happens in there. And it, we talked about it happens during the show. So you, as you're typing, you'll see your messages fly up on our YouTube channel. But throughout the week, even into the night, so last night or the night before, it was last night, I'm up at midnight still typing on Discord with somebody talking about event sourcing and got to a point where I'm like, all right, I'm going to bed. And they're like, sorry to keep you up asking all these questions. And I'm like, nope, it's actually my wife's fault. I was going to go to bed, but I always make coffee the night before, before I go to bed. And she put the coffee pot into the dishwasher and the dishwasher was running. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to go talk about event sourcing on Discord instead. <laughs> yes, I know I could have stopped the dishwasher, washed the thing by hand. I wanted to talk event sourcing. It was fun. You said earlier you were working on the magazine. I did. We are very close to getting this month's out. We know it is late. Not as late as our first issue when we took the magazine over. Uh, for those that don't know, we, our previous editor, the person who does the layout and does a majority of the work, decided to retire. We brought somebody else in to handle that, who happens to be my wife. And, you know, there's this huge learning curve. So she's learned a ton in the past month, but the magazine isn't out yet. So, so that's two things that it, are your wife's fault. Yep. Two, two things. But at the same time, I've learned a ton in the past couple of weeks as well, you know, cause I'm sitting down with her trying to teach her what needs to be done. Carolyn, who did the editing before did all the layout. Like I'm still impressed that she was able to get as much done as she did. Because when I sit down and look at it, I'm like, wait, why did you do this and that? And I'm of the mind that when I have to do something, I'm going to improve the process. And just within the past couple of weeks where I'm like, wait, why are we doing it this way? Wait, this is dumb. I'm like repeating work or whatever. So just improving the process all around. Bottom line, magazine's late. Should go out hopefully tomorrow or sometime this weekend. And then we start on October and hopefully that one gets out sooner. Tis the plan anyway. Yeah. I'm hoping. I'm waiting. I've been a little bored lately. Although I do start work on Monday. Very excited. So I actually had something interesting happen at Foam Burner this, this past week. Last Friday, actually. That I think is a good idea for other people to do. We use the magazine as like... In the past, we've done book clubs. So we've gone over like design patterns and just different things. And then all of a sudden they're like, why don't we use the magazine and we'll pick a specific article. We'll spend 30 to 60 minutes, you know, 
talking about that, how it can improve that business. And it was like, I think other companies should do it. So maybe as you get ingrained in there, if, if it's something that they're interested in having a learning session where the developers come together, you find something that kind of speaks to your team and have a, have a conversation around it. it worked out well for us. I can, I can recommend the graph database article from last month's issue. That was a great article. There were a bunch. We, now I can't even remember the one we talked about. That's that's embarrassing. We'll we'll wait here. PHP, <laughs> PHP blueprint. Nah, so we, not a Laravel shop, so that wasn't a, a good topic. There was a nice DDD article. We're gonna go back boundaries. and do that entire series because that 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 series has been around for a bit now. Not something to pick up in the middle. So now we're talking about starting from the beginning and then kind of working through that one. That would be a fantastic one. And when you have a subscription to PHP Architect, that's very easy to do because you have access to our entire back catalog. So you can easily go back in time and see where these great series start and pick it up from the beginning. That is true. It's true. You know who's actually an advertiser for us? This video is brought to you by Cloudways. We are all developers and love to write code, but... Managing the servers that that code runs on can be a time-consuming and error-prone process. Cloudways helps you spend less time managing your servers and more time doing what you really want to do, coding. You only need one account to manage servers on multiple platforms and for multiple customers. Pick just the server size and location that makes the most sense for you and your customers. You can even estimate your costs for your server before spinning it up. Cloudways offers peace of mind and flexibility so you can focus on growing your business instead of dealing with server management. With Cloudways, you get an optimized stack, managed servers, backups, a staging environment, integrated Git, pre-configured Composer, 24-7 support, and a choice of five different cloud providers, Amazon Web Services, DigitalOcean, Linode, Google Cloud, and Vulture. Get a discount of 20% for three months using the code PHPARCH. Check them out today using our affiliate link at phparch.com slash cloudways. Thank, Thank you, cloudways. you, Cloudways. Thank you, Cloudways. I remembered this time that that ad just cuts off abruptly. Yeah, we need to we need to address that. We were just talking about it. Uh, so, Scott, we released Scott's first video last week. Wait, was it last mm. week? No, it was this week. It, it was I released this week, it on yeah. Monday. Yeah, yep. I released it on Monday, and man, it's it's doing well. It's getting some traction. I'm really happy for him. I know I know Scott puts a lot of work in his videos and we're working through some kind of formats and you know what we like what, what we don't like I, I was actually giving him a hard time because in this video he he doesn't show his face he's just like this voice walking it through i'm like no people want to see you man and <laughs> so but yeah it's doing well check it out at the youtube.com slash php arch a-r-c-h php a-r-c-h the videos now and it's a good way. He talks about Deployer, which I didn't realize was a project. Fantastic. It looks fantastic. I need to give that a try. It reminds me a lot of Laravel's Envoyer, which, you know, its goal is to have a zero downtime deployment. And it, you know, I, I had written a bunch, even before Envoyer, I had a bunch of scripts that kind of do the same thing. But my scripts were very limited, very custom to you know, my workflow. 
so this this deployer a deploy is a deploy or deployer. I don't remember. Deployer. Deployer. Might just be deployer. deployer. Looks it has very a, slick. Yeah. It's able to accommodate a bunch of different frameworks or just generic PHP stuff. It's written in PHP, which you know always want to support uh, those great PHP projects out there. Deployer, not a sponsor of PHP Ugly. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's exciting to start getting some of this, this fresh content on the, the YouTube channel. If you're mm-hmm. watching PHP Ugly on YouTube or if you're listening to us, please go to our YouTube channel, like and subscribe there. And please do the same over on PHP Architect at youtube.com slash PHP Arch, like Eric said. Helps us out. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you guys. Yeah, sure. Foreign keys in your database. We've talked about this, this before. Yeah. What's your question? Before I, before I assume it. Well, GitHub, a, a GitHub developer, has posted that they do not use foreign keys anywhere ever. Mm-hmm. That it negatively impacts performance and creates issues for sharding databases. And that's it. Can be that's more easily. Key, that's a key point. Sharding. Yeah, because so it can be more easily implemented in other ways. And foreign keys are just a crutch, and that. Uh, on delete cascades are actually horrifying and bad. <laughs> That's why I love foreign keys. <laughs> okay, go on. So, so is your question? What's our opinion of foreign keys? Or? Well, yeah. Do you do you use them? Do you not use them? Why don't you use them? Why do you use them? Because sure. now I'm like never going to use them again. The GitHub <laughs> guy said, "Don't use so- them." This has come up a handful of times over the past few years. Yeah. So go ahead, John. John, give us your opinion, because I, I have a strong, stronger opinion about this than I used to. I can't wait to hear it. I, I'm of the opinion that I don't work on anything big enough like GitHub where my performance is lacking due to foreign keys. The database is still a huge bottleneck, but it's not because of foreign keys. It's because of some terrible queries, the way things are joined, you know, we're working through a lot of that, but it's, I don't think foreign keys play a big enough role and the benefit that I feel we get from them plays a much bigger role. I don't rely on the foreign keys to prevent inserts per se. It's more the cascading delete. I actually just went through a big project because again, this code base is over 10 years old where we finally want to start cleaning up data. So we just went through and added foreign keys with on cas- on delete cascade to a crap ton of tables, just so that we only had to delete from a handful of tables and it would clean up the data across the other 400 tables. Right. You kind of did it there, but I'll just ask you to do it maybe a little better for maybe new PHP developers that are listening or developers who don't understand what cascading deleting is. You mind running that down real fast? Yeah. So in my context, we have say a contact, a contact has multiple addresses, multiple phone numbers, multiple notes. As soon as I delete that contact, it goes out to those other tables because of the cascade delete and says, Oh, there's this foreign key with cascade delete. I deleted user 1234, so I'm going to delete all addresses for user 1234, all phone numbers, all, you know, and it just goes through the, the entire gamut versus in user land code where I delete from that table. Now I have to also delete from any other number of tables. 
if you have a big enough team, aka GitHub, where you probably have really good code review, really good planning around, oh, we're adding this table. Well, now we need to plan on when we delete this data, we also need to delete from that table. When you're dealing with legacy code, that's really, really hard to do because you don't always have really clean code with good service layers where deletes happen in one place. They sometimes happen from hundreds of places in the code. You're not going to be able to go capture that all. So I decided cascade deletes were going to be the best way, even in the cleanup routine. So in some cases, cascade deletes were not feasible. So in those cases, for the cleanup routine, it's before I delete from the contact table, go delete from whatever other tables. Use the phone, for example. If I couldn't add a cascade delete there, I'm going to delete from that table first and then eventually delete from the contact table and let all the other cascade deletes work. That is my, that's the reason I like them. I do understand there's a performance impact, especially on inserts, because it has to re-update all the indexes. But now I'm interested in hearing Eric's strong opinion. Well, I want to bring up another issue here, which is that from my understanding of doctrine, reading about it all week, it requires foreign keys for its relationships. I don't, I don't know so. how it would require it. Like what? Oh, so, if you're, you, well, if you're using the the builder or the the code generation where to build your initial models, but the rest of it is just PHP code and annotations. It's not. It doesn't care about the database layer itself. Hmm. That might be the case then. I, I'm just reading an article that says that that there's specific structures of foreign keys for many to one, one to one, many to many, and that foreign keys are central in this configuration. But that would surprise me. So I guess I don't know if there's someone out there who knows doctrine well enough. I'd love to hear if that's an actual thing. I mean, it would be a bad thing. I think required it, which I, I don't. I mean, I use doctrine. I don't recall ever running into that case where. I couldn't do a one-to-many or, or any sort of relationship because of foreign keys. It may be the fact that we're in the middle of transitioning the doctrine, so it's a big part of the code base, but I haven't used it on everything. So maybe the things I have used it on, there was foreign keys there. But I still, from how I use it, I can't see that being a stopping point. But I also don't use the code generation piece to say, oh, I've got the table, create my models for me. Right. I could see if you're going to, if you're using it that way, then yes, you're going to need the foreign keys in order to be able to do that. Okay. Well then Eric, what is your long winded response? Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Hurtful. Harry calls it passionate. Whatever. So this, this shows my immaturity as a developer at one point. I was a self-taught developer. I, you know, I kind of learned on my own as I went along. I didn't realize foreign keys were even an option. Like I thought it was a requirement in a database. So I never even consider not having foreign keys. I mean, it just didn't it didn't register in my head as as an option. Like I just thought, hey, if you want if you want this table to know about data on this table, it has to be a foreign key. It was just that. When I got involved with document stores, so document stores in general, as much of the data as can possibly be in a document is in a document, but 
occasionally there are relationships to other documents, right? And it's just, you just define, hey, you know, this user's whatever uh, medical record is this UUID on, on this table, right? Or in, the, in this database, it's not even a table, it's a database. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, that's weird. So so the, the thing with document stores in general is the burden is on the developer to manage and maintain integrity of data. So you, you have you don't have a lot of constraints of, oh, hey, this field has to be an integer, integer, this field is required. It's a document store, right? So everything is very fluid. So it all fell on the developer to maintain the integrity of the data. I remember thinking to myself back, I'm like, well, why don't we do that with relational databases? Like, why why do we depend on the database to manage this, this stuff? And I'm still kind of on the fence about it because I feel like, you know, on, on the one hand, if you have a big enough application or if you have a big enough team where you have a DBA team, you know, having that checks and balances in place where it's okay, I'm the I'm the last gatekeeper of data entering this database and I'm going to dictate what type of data it is. I, I kind of, you know, I, I still struggle a little bit with, okay, there's still a benefit of foreign keys and the cascading deletes are a perfect example why you might want a foreign key. But then recently where I started to really pivot on this was John talked to me about service called Planet Scale. Planet Scale, if you're listening, we've exchanged emails. You sent me a little gift. I appreciate it. Would love to have you as a sponsor. Planet Scale, appreciate it. But when I went to use them, they don't allow foreign key. So Planet Scale is this awesome service where it's you don't worry about scaling your database or anything. It's I mean, I don't want to compare it to like RDS, Amazon's database service or something like that, because it's very different than that. It allows you to version your database and all this other stuff. It's a very cool service. I would talk a lot more about it if they were a sponsor. Planet Scale, PHP Arch, PHP Ugly, wherever you want to go, buddy. Tech, no, 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 just But here. they had a great, they had a great article on why they don't support foreign keys, and charting was a big part of that. I'll, I'll see if I can dig that up. So every since reading that article, in in the back of my mind, knowing I wanted to use a service like Planet Scale more, I really kind of been secretly going away from foreign key relationships. Like I I don't add them anymore. And every now and then I might be called out on it. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I forgot we can add a foreign key in there. That's fine. Just I'll just create a migration. It's fine. But like in general in practice, I don't do foreign keys anymore. And I and I haven't really noticed issue with it. You're not going to because you normally do soft deletes, right? You don't fully fully delete data. Yeah, I, I don't the project I'm working on now, we're doing a lot of soft deletes because that client has this expectation of soft deletes, but I, I don't particularly like soft deletes. It just seems to leave clutter in the database. But yeah, no, I mean, I'm kind of not using them and I haven't, I feel pretty good about it. You're not, you wouldn't notice anything until you start finding orphan data. When you start wondering, hey, why is this table, you know, 30 gigs? And you're like, oh crap, I never, I was deleting from one table, but not this table. That's not, I mean, that's it's a not a big thing. deal, but it yeah. does add up. And, and like, like I said, much like a document store, the burden of, of data integrity and data management falls more on the developer. 
and, and that's and it, just the way it's going to be. Yeah, and it's it's great for projects where you know about it and you're making the conscious decision. Like we are not doing foreign keys because we have a great architecture team. We have a great DBA, whatever, <clears throat> like everything is laid out and the code is clean enough where you're not deleting from one place and forgetting to delete from others. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, so, most of us don't live I in mean, that world. There's, there's, I think at, at this stage, there's no a wrong answer, Tom, but, but you should be aware of, of it if you're going to use, I am really interested to read the GitHub article. I think John's right. Like I love it when, when like GitHub and GitHub again, you want to sponsor Microsoft, you want to sponsor, let us know. But when GitHub comes out with these sort of articles, it's like, oh yeah, no oh, fuck foreign keys, nobody needs it's like, yeah, when people are paying you the salary you get paid and you have a team as big as you have, it's easy to write these articles, isn't it? Yeah, but not everybody's like that. But I, I do I do want to read it because I do kind of agree agree with it and I'll try to find that planet scale one and add it to the show notes as well. But you need to be aware of it because there's, if you're using services, there might be services that just don't allow for foreign keys now. So hmm. I'm quickly reading. It's not necessarily about my MySQL itself, but foreign keys can also improve performance because MySQL, when you do a query, it does this whole optimization of the query to, to find the data in the best possible way. And it can use the foreign keys to figure that out. Just because you join from one table and then join five others, if you ever do an explain on that, it doesn't necessarily query your first table first. It's like, well, no, if I query the third table first, I get a smaller data set, which makes the rest of it much easier to bring together. Yeah. That's a totally non-answer then. It helps. It wasn't a non-answer. Doctrine has the same sort of premise that he has many, many finding these different relationships in your code for me helps with that right because i don't need to depend on these foreign keys anymore i can just say hey you know this user has many addresses or has many phone numbers and you know phone number can only belong to one user i don't know good works for me i'm not sure why cascading deletes don't work on that premise like hey don't don't worry about foreign keys like in Laravel. Laravel has a great relationship manager in, in its models so that you can define. And maybe it does work like this. I don't know. I should go look now. But if I do a cascading delete in Laravel, if if it just didn't say, okay, you're de- you're you're deleting a user, let me look at the relationships and see what relationships it has, and then go delete you know those records. But yeah, I don't know. And, and I don't know it doesn't work that way. It's funny, I never thought about it. I just always assumed it was working off foreign keys, but maybe it doesn't, actually. I need to go check now. I, I don't know. Because there's no reason why that wouldn't work. Because in the relationship, you define, you know, what the foreign, or, well, you can define it. It makes assumptions based on, um, uh, you know, standards. Like, you know, if you don't add a standard, I'm going to assume that the foreign key is is you know, address underscore ID or something like that. But you can also manually define that stuff. So, I mean, all the information is there. It's just not at the database level being enforced, but that doesn't matter for something like cascading deletes. There's no reason why it would require foreign keys to do cascading deletes in Laravel. Right. But your ORM could handle that for you. Doctrine could, and maybe it does handle that for you. I don't know. It handles a lot. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around it, but yeah, once you start getting into 
listeners and all those other bits with, with doctrine it's pretty crazy what it can do you can have custom types so you're when you pull a string out of the database it can turn it into an enum for you it can turn it into some other value object for you it's pretty slick and and eric just like we've talked about with event sourcing where you have your aggregate that maintains the state of your data and it doesn't necessarily match to a database structure the same holds true for your doctrine entities you can have your doctrine entity and i'm assuming you could do something similar in illuminate or in, in laravel you're you could instead of having a user id on an entity you can have a member or a user object so when you pull a user id out of the database it now knows that it's a full on user yeah yeah that's a... laravel does that okay. yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been looking at the entity manager and how the unit of work thing mm-hmm. works, and uh, it's got yeah, it's cool stuff. I'm a big fan. So you're looking. You're looking I, I want to get back to event sourcing, but you're looking into doctrine, Tom. Yes. You, are you working on a particular framework or something in the new job that requires it, or is it just straight PHP code that uses doctrine? No, it's there? it's my framework, Briargate. Okay. <laughs> All right. So event sourcing, a lot of people have been asking me about, you know, tell me more about event sourcing. I'm like, dude, I, I am like treading water with event sourcing. But this week, I finally had something where I'm like, okay, that's a pretty cool, cool feature. So I've been, been working on event sourcing for, for a couple months now, making, making little progress here and there. And, you know, one of the things that initially frustrated me when I went to do event sourcing in practice was to discover that your aggregate or your, your event stream wasn't just capturing data for you. Like just capturing, you know, I, I explained this before I had it in my head that it was just like automatically re- capture, capture everything in a request sort of thing. So I was really bummed to hear that. And I really have struggled to see what the benefit was with event sourcing. And, you know, I kind of, kind of, you know, bought into the, okay, we can, you know, we can have these commands and we can track those commands. And I'm like, all right, you know, but this, this week, John and I ended up having a conversation. I'm like, okay, that's actually really smart. And I, I thought it was cool. So the way I've been in, implementing my event sourcing is there's one aggregate and this aggregate can contains all the information about the product, the pricing, availability and all that. It's, it just it just continues. So all this stuff is customizable and every time it's customized, you know, it's it's added. And the aggregate keeps track of this. And we're we're on the back end of that now where there's a purchase process where a customer can come in and purchase it, purchase the product. And I was struggling with how I wanted to track that in the aggregate. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll just create a collection and just put, dump all the purchases in the collection. And John and I started talking through it a little bit. And yeah, he was like, well, he's like, you know, technically you don't have to do that. I'm like, well, well, I've got to track the purchase, John. I mean, that's silly. I need to know that the purchase happened. And John's like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, you would still fire the command and the command would still be logged into the, you know, the stream and it would still have the stream ID for that thing. You just wouldn't add it to the aggregate. 
I'm like, wait a minute, what? And he's like, yeah, it's like the aggregate your, itself, what you're dealing with, that purchase information isn't relevant to anybody using the aggregate. So that yeah. doesn't need to actually be part of the aggregate. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's actually pretty slick. So uh, I don't know. Do you want to explain that correctly, John? Yeah. So in general, your aggregate represents state, but it only you only care about that state for anything outside of the aggregate that is using the aggregate itself. So in this case, we may, when we go to project, we care about that data, but nothing outside of the aggregate is going to say, hey, at least as of right now, nothing is going to say, give me the purchases for this aggregate thing. So the whole point is, then you don't need to have a collection. You don't need to worry about how you're going to represent it in the aggregate at this point. Let the event flow through, kind of ignore it for now. In the future, when we decide, oh, we're going to do something with it, now we know what we're going to do. So we know how we need to, how it's going to change the state of the aggregate itself. When it flows through, it's still going to hit all the code that does projection. So the projection will see that event and maybe it gets projected somewhere, but it doesn't change the aggregate right now because nothing is using the, the aggregate for that piece. And I, that was kind of a, a realization for me too, as we were going through that, because as we've done everything else, it's like, oh, the aggregate has to be updated on every step of the, the way. And then, then all of a sudden I was like, well, not for this. Because when we first started talking about the purchases, I said that. I'm like, no, we, we'll add it to a collection. And then we know we have 100 of these things. We know we've had 50 purchases because the collection has 50 items in it. And if we need to project out the remaining, it's 100 minus the count of the collections. We're good to go. And now it's like, well, no, we don't need that. Yeah. We'll just do it based on the event. And we can even, we can even still project on it. Like we can just say, hey. You know, this inventory item has been decremented by one because it was a purchase. So but... the only the only question I have on it, because I haven't dealt with this yet, is when you when you ask the repository, give me aggregate one, two, three, four, it replays all the events and then builds up its state, right? That's why I, I was saying we don't need to make it part of the state right now because in a week from now when we say, Oh, I need to know just a list of the transaction IDs. So you go in, into the uh, apply purchase was successful handler in the aggregate. Now, the next time we go ask the database or the repository, hey, give me aggregate one, two, three, four. That time it's going to say, oh, every time I hit this event, keep a collection of the transaction IDs. A week after mm-hmm. that, well, I really need to know the uh, the result or some other piece of data. Well, the next time you pull it, it will know that data. What I don't know what will happen is when you do snapshotting. So when we get to that point and you snapshot the aggregate as it is now. It's true, right? You wouldn't have that information. Right. If you you set it up to do it every hundred events, well, now the next time you get it out of the database, you don't have the first hundred events to put that data into the aggregate. I haven't dealt with that. So I don't know. I'm sure there's a way around it. Oh, well, but if in, you're going to change this, you need to go replay. You need to recreate your snapshots, which is probably very doable. Right. And I, I still, I'm still leaning towards, if I do need to add it to an aggregate, that and this is particularly to the application. We don't need to get too much into it here. But 
helping purchases be its own aggregate. Like I, I just, I just want a list of all the purchases that that happen. It doesn't need to be part of that inventory aggregate. I just want its own like event. Okay. It should be so. In what again, getting in the weeds, we're also talking about having a separate payment service. That should be an aggregate in there. Mm-hmm. This should be reading the event stream and then making it part of its aggregate of oh. I've had purchases for this specific product I need to store. So while you're correct within your application, it shouldn't be a separate aggregate. That should be an aggregate of the payment service. The payment service. That's interesting. So it has its own aggregate. You're reading the way we're doing it currently is we're getting commands from the outside world saying, Hey, we're going to record this event in general. It could be, that payment service is its own event source thing. It writes everything to an event log. Now our service can read that event log and then react to those events and say, Oh, this event was for product one, two, three, four. Let me record that this transaction happened and, and move on versus being told that it happened. But that's when that's where microservices shine. Microservice handles its own thing, publishes the event, it doesn't have to then reach out to your service and say, hey, this event happened. You're going to know because it happened over there. I just didn't bring that up the other day when we were talking about creating the payment service. It seemed a little much. <laughs> if an event happens that you're not logging, what do you do? Log it. Honey Badger transforms you into a DevOps hero by combining error, uptime, and cron monitoring into a single easy-to-use platform. Stop wasting your time tailing logs and deploy with swagger. Visit HoneyBadger.io today to level up. Thanks, Honey Badger. Thanks, Thank you, Honey Badger. Thank you, Honey Badger. <laughs> oh, it's the foster dog that's not a foster dog. The forever foster. I got an interesting update here for you guys. What is there's, that? There's a, you know, the weekly Laravel release uh, that has, you know, some like new test assertions this week, uh, intended session URL from the redirector, uh, new eloquent mode for discarding fills for attributes, which I actually like. But that I ran across an interesting new thing that's part of Laravel. Signal traps. This catches kernel level signals to the program. So if you send a, a control C command, which is like a sig quit, mm-hmm. then you can catch it and do something before the application quits. You can do that That's already. Cool. You can do that already, but now this is just a part of Laravel. So you could do that with PHP before, but now you can do it in Laravel. Well, how can you do it in PHP? Uh you can just when you when you set up I do it in my my workers currently pnctl underscore signal allows you to oh, assign okay. a handler to the signal gotcha so it wasn't like it was impossible or even difficult beforehand but uh, it's just a nice little thing to have in uh, something that could be running queues or could be running long running jobs and there's a lot of signals it catches you know. Uh, sig stop, which is like control Z, so you can pause the application. Um, sig Especially int. as many many people who are writing long running processes in Laravel now, like artisan commands and things like that. I mean, there's that whole what's it Laravel zero or something? The, yeah, 
the command, basically it's just like a command line interface, you know, for a framework for writing command line interfaces. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I wrote a, a job handler basically. Uh, and I do the same thing where when I, I catch a control C, but I, I want the job to finish before actually exiting. So you can exit gracefully. Well, that's not what you're supposed to do. No, you're just supposed to crash, right? Yeah. Just hard crash the desktop. So I thought that was cool. That's a nice little Laravel thing. We've got another Laravel thing. Laracon Laracon Online has announced their schedule. And I'm excited. Got a lot of friends' names on here. Man, I I didn't even see call for papers or anything. Man, I must be getting out of that loop or something. That's crazy. does does Laravel do call for papers? I thought they just handpicked their speakers. Yeah, they do. It's it's very clearly a handpicked selection. Oh, they don't do call for papers. Oh, okay, all right. So they, so they do. I guess I guess when you're Laravel, you have enough, yeah, enough, you know, top notch developers that you don't have to beg for speakers. You just say, hey, you know, come speak for me. Yeah. Well, naturally, Caleb Porzio is going to be one of the first early speakers. Talking about the future of Livewire. I thought you'd be really happy about that, Eric. Very happy about that. Unless he completely changes everything because he's thought he's been talking about rewriting it all. That scares me, but <laughs> And we're we're getting a one hour Laravel update from Taylor. Yeah, I think so, he normally does those. Yeah, you know, he talks about the next major release of Laravel and what their goals are and what they're working on. I hope it's LTS because there's currently no LTS. It's not going to be LTS. He's over that. Yeah, I know. Tried it and it didn't work, I believe is the term he I, uses I want to know on Twitter. If the, one, of the, one of the last times I spoke to Taylor, um, he mentioned you know wanting to get Laracon in person going again. But I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't know what the motivation for him would be for it, for doing it. I mean, the, the Laracon online is pretty solid. I mean, Laracon EU, I think, still happens, and that's that's a conference that's put on without you know him having to do it. I I I don't know. I don't know if it's so. He Money? talked about going going to an in person conference again, and everybody got excited because they thought he was uh, talking about Laracon. But he, he talked about going to an in person conference, I think, in January or something. I'm like, well, no, that would be Laracon. If it was Laracon, he would have said Laracon. He doesn't say that. So I don't know. I, I guess I wish Laracon. That was one of my one of my favorite. That and Tech, of course, were my favorite conferences to go to. But I like I, I still like the smaller Laracons. I mean, Laracon got really big there near the end and the, before the pandemic. Not like not, not the Laravel stops being like significant. The last couple of Laracons before the pandemic had gotten really big. The Chicago and New York ones were really big. And, and that was fun. I mean, it was, you know, by that time I had an established circle of friends that we would still see each other. And I would run into a lot of people who listened to the show and, you know, I hand out stickers. But Laracon has always been a one track conference. And that just gets like, just sitting in an auditorium with like 600 people, 500 people, it's just not comfortable. Like it's, you know, there's the, the, the aisles are long. So like people in the middle are always getting up and having in the bathroom. And I, it's just not, it just wasn't 
as pleasant of an experience as the smaller conferences. When I first started going, we're in Louisville, and those were just like I just thought like this this is the perfect conference. It's like one crack, you don't miss any talks. The you know the audience was pretty small. I think I think back then it was like I don't know like two hundred maybe, and you know it was just like I I really had enjoyed the the smaller Laracons, but. Yeah, Wildcat's a great conference. I hope they go back in person. I just don't know I would hold my breath. But I do know Taylor had some interest in doing it at one point. So we'll see. If only there were another conference that he could go to. Well, when I saw that tweet, there was a part of me. I'm like, oh, oh, is he going to promote us? Is he going to promote us? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, Tech is, tech is chugging along. Nothing to add yet. <laughs> no? Okay. Nope. I, 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 was, I wasn't going to say nothing. You wasn't going to say nothing. Speaking <laughs> of conferences. The, the Obamas haven't, haven't confirmed yet, right? No? What? <laughs> what were you saying, Tom? Speaking of conferences, did you guys watch the the code conference? This, I'm sorry, not the code conference. The Apple, the Apple reveal conference that was this week. No. no, I have no no reason to watch it anymore. Oh man, you didn't see the new watch? No, it's so, it's so cool. Which the the Watch Eight? No, the Watch Ultra. It's oh. I think Ultra. Ultra. Yeah. Is that what's is that what's cool about it? It's got it's got a new name. Uh, no, it's like much more industrial. It's designed for. Uh, well, it says it's designed for people who are adventurers, but. Yeah, I, I tell you, I, I don't know it, so I'm not going to see it, but I'm so tired of Apple fanboys saying, oh, it's so cool because it do, does this, and you find out, oh, yeah, you know, Android has been doing that for five, ten years. So it's hard to – I don't know it. I haven't looked at it, so I'm not going to knock it. But unless it helps you float, it, I'm not going to – I'm probably not going to be that impressed by it. It has it a dive cool computer functionality. It actually is scuba certified. That I didn't know. That's pretty that's amazing. Pretty a hundred meters, a hundred meters of depth. What were you saying, John? It the the Apple Watch that I have, or the the version before, does some cool things that I don't think Android watches do. And you know, you've had a lot of Android watches, or I have Google OS, or whatever it's called, and it's lacked. Right? It hasn't done what you wanted it to do. One of the things, and the reason I I wear mine, which I don't wear it that often. But when I do wear it, it's for paragliding because I like the impact piece. Like, hey, I think you just were in an accident. Do you want me to call somebody? And if you don't, res- <laughs> if you don't respond, <laughs> if you don't respond, it calls your your in case of emergency person. So, so this, along that, along that they, same line, John's John's right. I, I've had a lot of Google watches. The last couple, I I've been okay with. I, I typically go citizen. Citizen has a brand of watches that are pretty good. So I, I like the last couple. I, I tried the Samsung, and Samsung, they deviate too far from Pixel, the Google watch stuff. But I'm pretty excited because Google is finally coming out with their own version called the Pixel Watch. They've been saying that for I, years. Has it been announced No, it's on, it's on the website. Yeah, it's, it's coming out in November, I think. Or, 2047. So I, I, I'm kind of – when is it? He's being funny. Oh, it's October 6th, October 6th. Okay. I knew it was sometime around there. 
I, I've actually gotten a, I've gone back to a traditional watch because I've gotten to the point where I thought I was getting um, overly, like too many buzzes were happening on my body. Like my phone would buzz, my watch would buzz. But I, I, I did like it a lot when I was riding on the motorcycle because of that, because I, I could tell when somebody was trying to get in touch with me, I could actually have my navigation on, on my wrist. So I, kind of been back and forth on whether I want to get another one. And then I saw the Pixel watches coming out. I'm like, all right, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get the problem with Google and Apple's the same way. Is like their first couple iterations usually suck bad. That was I was waiting for the Pixel watch watch before I switched to the iPhone. Like mm-hmm. I was I was putting up with, with the Pixel 6 deficiencies, the things that were frustrating me in hopes that okay, the Pixel watch is coming out, you know, this October, let me, I'm going to wait to see how that is. And of course, disappointed again. It was like three years in a row. I kept saying they're going to come out with one and they never did. So, Well, you would like it though. One of the features on the Pixel Watch is gives you your altitude. It says, hey, you've gone up this far, this fast. You might be flying. <laughs> well, there's Possibly. some interesting new stuff in the, in the Ultra Watch. Well, in all the watches. A big thing is car crash detection, where it contacts your... Uh, I think that's basically what John was talking about, collision detection. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, that wasn't a feature before. There was, like, fall detection. My aunt was walking to the car one day, and, and it told her that she was walking unstably and needed to sit down because it could measure that her center of gravity was moving wrong. And, and it's true, she got lightheaded and had to sit down. The the Ultra requires cellular connection. It's connected with a SIM. And it has a sapphire screen, which like they don't push enough, but like it's sapphire is the hardest clear thing you can get. Like it's really, really, really tough. One of the big things they focused on with the with the, the presentation or whatever was ovulation tracking. Oh, I need. That. Are we are we trying to sell Apple Watches now, or is there a PHP angle to this? Or I'm going to get one. <laughs> I'll be I mean, it sounds he, cool. Yeah, he needs the ovulation tracking. But what we did we did talk about. We'll see. I'm wondering what's going to happen when guys start putting this watch on and it tells them that they're ovulating. <laughs> uh, one thing we did talk about though is the blue boxes and green boxes issue. Which did you ever watch that video, Eric? I sent to you. The Marquez uh, Brownlee video. Yeah, I feel like I did. I don't feel remember now. Emotionally, in my heart, I did mm-hmm. with my eyes. No. <laughs> uh, well, he so Tim Cook was asked about this issue and responded, "You know, if there's if there's somebody who can't get messages from you because of compatibility, then you should buy them an iPhone too." That's a horrible response. Yeah, especially seeing how the whole reason for it is because they intentionally make it a bad experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah, it's really like so he was he was specifically asked about the RCS protocol, the rich communication service, and basically mm-hmm. basically said, like, oh, we don't care and we're not going to if it's a problem buy grandma of an iPhone. What a dick. Yeah. yeah. That that's one of my biggest problems with Apple. They they did it so I remember when when NFC, when they started doing when they opened up NFC and said, Okay, we're but we're only gonna do it for Apple Pay. 
I'm like, what a dick move. Like, this is a protocol that other other technologies are trying to take advantage of, but people aren't adopting it because they have iPhones. And now they they see the benefit of getting a little coin through Apple Pay and, you know, being a part of every transaction that somebody makes, that they enable it for that one piece, but won't just enable the NFC protocol for everybody, for, for, for everything. It irritates the hell out of me. They're, they're bad... They're bad stewards of technology when they do that, and it makes me mad. I I agree. I don't like it. Gonna have to get that watch though. <laughs> I found a very awesome new tool. Play.phpsandbox.io. I don't believe I brought this up before, but like I, I let- think this has been a thing. I've been to this site before. I, this is this is new to me, but it lets you select a package from Packagist and then just start playing with it in a in a web based IDE. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it pulls it's up pretty cool. It pulls up like sample code for the package. It pulls up the documentation for the package, and like just gives you a a window that you can run little sample stuff in, and it's so cool. And I, I definitely recommend people check it out because there's been so many times where I'm looking for. Maybe when I get internet back, I'll give it give it a look again. I don't know. I, I discovered like so. First thing, my workflow in general, I'm you know I, I do everything with Docker containers and stuff. So the fact that my internet was down it completely stopped me from working. It did stop me from like oh yeah you know what's the needle haystack haystack needle you know, stack overflow hookup sort of thing I can't do anymore. But the one thing that kind of caught me off guard is like, yeah, I'm working on APIs. And and again, we have multiple services. So the cool thing about my workflows, I'm, I've been using Lando thanks to our Discord, whoever, whoever Discord had suggested Lando to me. So it allows me to spin up multiple sites. So I, you know, I can have this site using an API from this other site all locally. But I discovered today that Postman which I've been using a lot of to test my endpoints, won't let you change your environmental variables if you're offline. I'm like, wait, uh, what? what? Son of a... I mean, you can go, like, you can go into the um, the tab, you know, like, the entry, and, and, and put it in there. But, Are you like, sure all my... I, trust me, I tried several times. I said, hey, you can't change this environmental variable until you're, you're back online. But uh, Ouch. so so in all my in all my things, I have you know little squirrely bracket, squirrely bracket, and environmental variable, uh, and it's weird. It was a cascading thing. We talked about cascading deletes earlier. It was a cascading thing where I guess the so one of, one of the benefits to using Lando is it addresses the thing that I talked about years ago, where I want to be able to spin up services. I don't want to have to manage ports and stuff. I just want an easy URL I can go to. So. So Lando does that for me, and it uses um, uh, what's it called, Masquerade DNS or something to, to DNS. Map DNS. Like, yeah, D- yeah. So it, it spins up this little proxy server. It's really slick. Can't I can't talk enough about how good Lando has been. There's been some quirkiness about it, but like trying to use it with Tinker. But in general, it's I've been really happy with it. But apparently. Even though it's all self-contained, if it's not able to talk to the outside world DNS, that DNS piece doesn't work. Or at least it wasn't working for me today. So I, I figured, I'm like, well, shit, 
must try must still be trying to do some sort of DNS. I don't know why. I don't know why it would be doing this, but it must be trying to do some sort of resolution. That's not, that's not Lando doing that. That's your local machine, isn't it? Like your local machine, when you go to a URL, it's going to ask the outside world probably first, and then maybe fall back to Lando. But yeah. but still, it should it should still fall back to it. I would think so. Yeah. So 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 the 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 URL wasn't wasn't resolving correctly. I don't know if it's a problem with my configuration or not. But you know, again with Lando, you know, it, it also says okay. Here's the IP addresses, or here's the port it's running on. So if you want to just go to localhost, this port, that will come up as well. So that's what I was trying to change. So I have an environmental variable in in Postman that says, okay, here's my base URL. And that's what I was trying to change. And it wouldn't allow me to change it because I was offline. So I had to go to like each each endpoint I tried to hit, I had to go in there and manually put in my my local that's, host URL. That's crazy. I'm I'm shocked on that. Now I want to go try it. Try Hang on, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick my cat five out real quick. <laughs> so all right. With Lando, do you change your name servers to to add Lando as a name server? I did not know. It's on black magic how it works. Um and like that's... I said it has has a little proxy server it spins up to so that's the thing is like the proxy server is what actually takes over port 80. So, like, occasionally when I go to spin up, like, another Docker container that I want to run on port 80, I have to remember, I have to shut down my entire Lando environment to do that. And, and you, that's all configurable. I, I do it because, I, you know, I just like it all being on port 80. And I mainly use Lando now. So, like, the fact that I need to spin up another one occasionally is very rare. But you have to, so you, you shut down your containers for your project, but that proxy server is still running on port 80. You have to remember, I, I think it's called like Lando, the command is like Lando power off or something. And that tells Lando to shut down everything. Hmm. I've been really happy with Lando. It took me a while to, to, to understand some of the quirkiness with it. But yeah, I'm not, so Land- not unhappy with it. Lando's not a Laravel thing then. No, no, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's its own project, but it has like recipes for Laravel, WordPress, and much other things. It's cool. This is Lando.dev. So the interesting, and I, I've been fighting this a little bit internally, being the CTO of the company, I have some sway on how we do this. So instead of eh, what do we you? do currently... He does. What we do currently is is we set up you know Docker environments and all that stuff gets put into the repo, the the Docker and the builds and all that. With Lando, all we would have to add to the repo is Lando YAML configuration file, and then everybody's on the same page through that one file. You just say you know Lando start for this project, and it pulls everything in and, and takes care of everything for you. But it's less to manage from from a repo perspective. It's it's been very appealing. I, I was actually talking to our developer who's coming on board working on a project that I'm pretty sure I had accidentally some, uh, added my Lando configuration to my repo of the, my version of the project that we're working on just because it's just one dot file. So it's, it's not, you don't even see it in your file system. It's a dot, a Lando dot YAML file. And so it gets really, you know, it gets kind of transparent and you kind of forget it's there. But yeah, it's very easy. Check it out. 
cool. Yep. Sarah wants you to exercise your sway <laughs> that you have. <laughs> yeah, over I, I round table. I heard there's some problems with getting round table out the door. Oh, with the yeah. internet. Man. Yeah, the problem is time, and what a time suck my life has been. And, you know, right after Sammy had, you know, gifted me Roundtable is when we bought PHP Tech, and then I ended up moving, and I mean, just so many things piled on at once. And I tried getting it going again, which I kind of have, kind of have my, my panel, and then they got hit with this big project of work, and I just don't have extra time, and now we got tech coming up, and Dude, it's just not enough hours in the day. I tell you, it's it's terrifying at times. But I, I do. I love roundtable, and I love the. I, we got Sarah, Joe, and Ben is kind of the panel, and then we bring other people in. And I really enjoy uh, the conversations we have. And yeah, I just need to. I mean, I just need to get back into that. Challenging. Well, I have challenges, man. If if necessary, I will be your guest. I'm not that desperate yet, but <laughs> no, I know. I'm just saying, if necessary. Looking forward uh, to next week we and hearing about your up. first week of work. I'm very excited. I've got my laptop yeah, coming in tomorrow, my espresso machine. I'm all set. <laughs> Wait, did they buy you an espresso machine? No, I got one on Amazon. There was like a midnight oh, okay. deal. <laughs> I said, that might not be a good man. <laughs> he, he spent $22 on an espresso machine. I did. Good. What do you think? It's, it's, it's a coffee pod thing. The like yeah. pods. Like, yeah, for espresso. Oh. It's twenty-two dollars. I'm happy. <laughs> you not Speaking of being happy, you know who's always happy? Oh, have you? we not gotten our, to our patrons? Our yet? patrons on Patreon. Look at those wow. fish. Well, there might be new patrons. I don't know. I didn't have internet today. <laughs> That's upsetting. There might be fewer too. Again, I don't know. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a more likely consequence. <laughs> Thank you, all our Patreon yes. supporters. If Thank you me. want to be a Patreon supporter, just go to patreon.com forward slash phpugly. And uh, we do appreciate it. It makes things run a little smoother. It's hard to tell right now, but normally they run a little smoother. I'm trying to figure out what these shadow names are that are in the uh, in the Patreon video. Shadow name? Yeah. Like, like you know, behind Billy... And below Laravel magazine, it should just be a shadow of that magazine. Of that, yeah, uh, it's, I, it's from way up. So Billy is actually Rodrigo. The shadow name underneath of it. Yeah, it looks like the, your shadow has a font size that's larger, and it's breaking on line breaks. Uh, oh, oh, oh! If I get internet again, I'll try to. Thanks for pointing out my flaw there, Don. Appreciate yeah, yeah. Let, let let me know when your toilet stops glowing. That'll be great. Was it? That's the second time you Be- made that behind reference. you, behind you. Your toilet, your glowing. Oh toilet. my! Guys, want to see my back here? That's my back here, and that's uh, a little, my little. I got a little thing back there. What's that? Gazebo. Gazebo. Got a little pool here. It, sounds, uh, he sounds like one of those rich YouTubers. He's like, yeah, yeah, one of those, uh, one of those tent things you put in your yard. Gazebo. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's that. Look, I have a have a little remote here. I can turn everything on. Stuff shows shows over. Hey, are you here? What's up, puppy dog? Yeah. A Wiz is trying to to give your podcast to Oscar. I I get an Oscar. That's that's <laughs> very kind. I don't know if they make podcasting Oscars, but I do appreciate A nope. nope, they're called Webbies, and we don't we don't qualify. 
Time to shut down. Is that, a, is that a water feature? That's a waterfall. Yeah, that's that's the waterfall. There's another waterfall over there for the this jacuzzi. Is, this is just yeah, as bad. I sound as, like such a, I sound like yeah. a douche saying it. But. This is just as bad as when Taylor was showing off his Lamborghini. Let me unplug. I'm gonna unplug. Here, podcasting. There you go. That's the whole. That's kind of hopeful. I have I have the stuff up there in cover under covers because it's supposed to start raining tonight, but. Po- possibly the worst my, uh, idea for a podcast right ever is PHP Cribs. I'm not dizzy at all after that. Yeah, spin faster. Look, I've been burning all these candles to try to keep the bugs away from me. It's not working. <laughs> you unplug, right. so your, your machine's probably down to 2% now. You better close up quick. Mm-hmm. All right, I think that's it. What? It's been a fun, exciting episode. What? Yes. So 302? Yep. 302. I'm John. I'm Tom. <laughs> Keep it ugly. Keep it ugly. Keep it ugly. One, two, one, two. Uh, coming off the top. Y'all know how we do. Listen, I'ma drop a freestyle you can cherish. I'ma send a shout out to the host named Eric. Yo, he's never on some average shit. You know, Eric, he stays loud and passionate. I'm about to break it down for y'all with the clever song. Yo, shout the host name Thomas, cause he's never wrong. Yo, shout to John. You know that he's smart and quiet, unlike my freestyles, which cause a riot. I'm about to do it like this, cause the people love me. Shouts out to PHP, the ugly. It's called ugly, cause it's not professional. But I'm about to come through and bless it with style. So let's do it when I'm spitting, I perfume the room. Yo, the segment of the show is called Doom and Gloom. That came from Thomas. Yeah, can nobody go beyond this? I get the mic and then I'm about to keep it like a promise. Yeah, and y'all know we fill them up with anguish. We talking about the PHP, the programming language. About to break it down, no exaggeration. What do y'all do for a living? Web applications. Okay, I can dig it. My words spray tight. Uh, they getting together on the Thursday nights. Yeah, when it comes to rhyming, you can call me the new dude. I spew true lyrics while y'all broadcast on YouTube. YouTube. So let's get it. You know my lyrics are major. All up in the comments, they got plenty of haters, but they doing what they doing. Keep it ugly. We end in every show with the saying it's lovely. Let's go. Yeah, come on.